Yeah, this is going to be a grief and death episode. It's going to be in that category, those categories. Uh, hopefully it won't be too formulaic. Hopefully I will say something interesting. That said, it deals with the formula behind those things. And you can see that with grief in particular, where grief is given this formula, it's given these stages. That's the formula that everybody knows. Uh, it's, it's almost an element of pop culture at this point. The, is it seven, seven stages of grief? The seven deadly sins? The seven deadly stages of grief? And there's a reason why that exists. There's a reason why somebody came up with those stages, why they identified them. But they did come up with them, too. While while it was based on what people do experience, you know, somebody did map that out. And in identifying those stages of grief, I believe it can be very helpful to people. But it's also something that I don't think you should subscribe to if you don't have to or want to. Because it is a formula. And I think formulas only go so far when you're dealing with the human experience. And there, I think there are certain aspects of that formula you can't deny. Because there is a universal response to death. There is a universal response to grief. And even though there's some variety within that, there is still a basic reaction to, to losing somebody. There still is something that's common. And it's, it's almost like being handed a guitar. And there's a certain physicality to that guitar that you can't deny. And I guess you could drop the guitar and say, what guitar? I never got a guitar. Nobody ever gave me a guitar. And I guess that would be the denial stage. You're in denial. Uh, but... You know, for the most part, it's like you get handed this guitar, this grief guitar, and it has a certain physicality to it. And it's no different than being given a very real guitar for your 15th birthday, or you're a 50-year-old man who's decided that you finally are going to pursue your dream of becoming a musician, so you buy a guitar. But, you know, if you've ever picked up a guitar for the first time, you know, there's a certain physicality to it. It has a certain set of, you know, it, it's strung a certain way. You know, you plug it in a certain way, all that. And uh, you might have the approach of like, I'm going to do what nobody's ever done on this thing. I'm going to be a, a total iconoclast. And I'm going to be, I'm just going to do new things. I don't want to play anybody else's songs. I don't even want to learn the chords. I'm just going to completely create my own thing. And what ends up happening when you have that attitude with a guitar is, you either end up finding the same chords that everybody's always been playing on your own. You take some roundabout way where it's like, oh, if I put this finger here and this finger here, you know, after a bunch of trial and error, if I put this finger here and this finger here, it sounds really good. And then you find out, oh, that's the standard power chord that everybody plays. And you think you, you discovered something. Or worse than that, you're just like, I'm not even going to try to learn anything or any chords, and I'm just going to make improv guitar noise. And I'm not saying there's no place whatsoever for that or that that can't lead to good things. But for the most part, that's garbage. You know, for the, mo for the most part, like improv guitar noise is, you know, not worth sharing with people. If you have fun doing it, do it. <laughs> but for the most part, unless it has some kind of, you know, deliberate 
I don't know, unless there's something, you know, it's very rare there's something to somebody just like running their finger up and down a fretboard and like squiggling around, you know. Uh, it's very rare that that's good. Um, so usually, though, somebody discovers something, quote-unquote, discovers something that everybody's already known. And I, I have that experience with life where I, I'm like, I'm going to go my own way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go off here with my machete and clear a path, and then I end up making some half circle that just takes me back to the path I left. You know, I have that experience a lot. So all of this is based on experience here. Uh, but with guitar, it's very easy to take that approach. And so you will, in the end, find these chords, whether you learn them from somebody, whether you read them somewhere, where you read about how to do them, you Google it, you know, no matter what you do to learn, you're going to learn those chords. And you're going to be like, okay, these are the sounds that, this sounds right. And it's not even that it sounds right, it feels right. Because when you play a chord, even if the guitar is not plugged in, you know, when you play that chord, it just feels right, and you know that it there's something to it. And that's the interesting thing about guitar, is that there so much of it is just a feeling. You don't have to have, you know, even beyond the tone of the instrument, uh, there's a feeling when you play two strings, and and they're uh, held together by a certain chord, and it just sounds right. It doesn't. It's not that it's a song. It just str that one little strumming feeling just feels right. Um, so there are these chords that you will find, and since we're talking about a grief guitar, I think the same applies, where, you know, there are certain chords to that experience. There are certain things that are helpful. There are certain thoughts you will have. Um, uh, so, you know, at, in, at the end of the day, you are dealing with this instrument that has a certain physicality, and the things you can do with that instrument... Um, while they're not necessarily limited to one formula or another, you will find that there are definitely components to it that do translate universally to everybody who's ever picked up that instrument or been handed it, and more likely it's been handed to you. Because you don't just pick up a grief guitar. You don't go to, you don't go to Grief Guitar Center and buy a, a grief guitar. It has to be given to you. And you never know when you're going to get it. You never know. Uh, but, you know, it, chords are universal. There's a reason why they sound good. There's a reason why you use them. But not everybody uses them the same way. And I think in that same way, while there are certain beats to experiencing grief, you're not necessarily going to experience those beats the same way. Or I guess what you're able to do with those beats isn't necessarily the same thing that somebody else is going to do with them. Uh, and your, you know, your attitude toward those chords, I, I don't, I don't know about attitude, um, but the way that you respond to certain chords is going to be different based on the person. And there are some people who, you know, they'll approach music in general and they'll say, you know, I want it to be pleasing. I want it to make me feel happy. And I think that's the way people approach the grief process in a lot of cases is um, they're like, I want to feel happy again. Or, you know, I, I don't want to feel this way. And so a lot of that, a lot of the formulas that they are looking for are things that are going to do that, and I think those things do do that. 
But it, to me, that's like having a guitar teacher who's going to be like, okay, here are the songs you need to learn how to play. I'm going to teach you Enter Sandman and Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, and you can combine them. You can play uh, Twinkle Twinkle Little Sandman, Enter Little Star. Because, you know, the best thing in the world is when someone combines like heavy metal or hard rock with nursery rhymes. This is awesome. It's so cool. <laughs> It's so cool when someone combines heavy metal with nursery rhymes. Um, it's so funny. No, I mean, what's so great about that is it's so funny. No. <laughs> uh, you, know, you combine uh, Mary Had a Little Lamb with Smoke on the Water. You want to learn guitar? You're going to have to combine Mary Had a Little Lamb with Smoke on the Water. Otherwise, you're never going to learn. Otherwise, you're just you, you're not going through the, the formula. You're not going through the stages of grief guitar. If you don't learn Enter Sandman and Twinkle Little Star. But the reality is you don't have to play those songs. While you will discover that certain chords are universal and there's a reason why those chords are used, you don't have to play the, the exact same songs that other people have used those chords for. And you might end up playing similar songs. It's like, once again, it's like you're not necessarily going to be some iconoclast who completely changes the way that guitar is played. And when there is somebody who who is iconoclastic, it's not like people can't recreate that. They might not be as original, they might not be as good, but people will learn how to do it because the guitar does have certain physical characteristics and there are certain formulas. And if somebody does do something that's truly iconoclastic, uh, people can retrace the steps to get there and figure it out in their own way. Uh, but I think the same is true for this grief process where, you know, there is almost this expectation where it's like, okay, so you learned these chords or, or, you know, you were given this guitar and you figured out that these are the chords or somebody taught you that these are the chords. So you better play this song. You better be going through it in this way. And it's not that people are like, you better, but I think there almost is this you know, it's almost like where when I've talked to people through this process, like, and I and I feel like I don't necessarily give them the response they expect. I do notice a little discomfort, and it hasn't happened a ton, but, and I appreciate everybody who's contacted me, but I have noticed that you know there is this sort of expectation. You know, a lot of what people have said has a certain pregnant quality, like it's expecting a certain. Uh, it's expecting a certain result. It's it, there's just there's an expectancy to it, and uh, I'm almost my biggest concern is like I almost don't want to offend people by giving a response by being like, oh, I'm not going to play Inner Sandman and Twinkle Little Star. I think I'm just going to figure it out. These chords sound good, and those cho these chords are very real. We all recognize the power of chords. We all recognize the power of power chords. Uh, but, I, you know, I might just riff on this a little bit. I might just riff around a little bit and uh, do what feels right to me and not necessarily do what's going to make me happy, but I'm not going to play something that's, that sounds sad either. I'm just going to kind of, I'm going to do what I can with this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I can with this guitar, and, and at the very least, it's interesting. It's interesting that this exists. It's interesting that this grief guitar exists. But that's kind of my approach to it. And there is this part of me, though, that when someone 
when someone has contacted me with something that is kind of formulaic itself, and again, I don't say that as a criticism, because I think a lot of people respond to those formulas and gravitate toward them, and those formulas can be very helpful for them. Uh, I think some people need to go to grief counseling. Not me. You know, I when I got the packet, when I left the ICU and they gave me a packet of resources, it was a list of, you know, funeral options and grief counseling meetings you can go to, group meetings. And I was just like, it 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 didn't even enter, you know, it didn't even enter my brain that that was a possibility. And uh, someone, you know, tried to recommend a grief author to me a couple days after my mom died, and I was put off by that. You know, I don't want to say that I, I resented it or anything, but I was put off by that because it, it was such a presumption, and it, it expected something of me that I hadn't volunteered, and someone might think that that's me, like, hiding from the truth or something, but... uh you know, I ain't hiding from uh, the grief guitar. You know, I ain't dropping the grief guitar. You know, I'm I'm playing it. You know, as I said uh, in a recent episode, you know, I'm in, in orbit around that. I mean, I'm orbiting around the grief guitar. It's floating out there in the universe. Um, you know, so it's like there's no aspect of this where I'm not looking straight at the the whatever it is, you know, I'm not, I'm looking straight at whatever this whole thing is. Uh, and so, you know, when someone does recommend something, it goes back to what I was saying recently about how I was taught growing up that if somebody gives you a gift, say you have a birthday party as a kid and someone buys you a toy you already have, I was taught not to tell them that you already have it. I was taught just to thank them and move on, move on to the next gift, I mean, it's hard to be excited about something if you already have it, but just to pretend that you're grateful, pretend, I mean, you are. The thing is, you are, like, when someone gives you something, you should be grateful. Because, you know, it's it's not about the thing you're receiving. It's not about, it, it's that somebody wanted you to feel good. You know, that's what it comes down to, or to, they wanted to help you in some way. Uh, I bought you a toy. I'm helping you. <laughs> I wanted to help you, so I bought you a toy. But really, that's kind of that's how you help a kid. Buy him a toy. Make him feel good. But I was taught, you know, not to tell somebody that you already have something, and uh, because and what that communicates, you know, what I I learned from that now. As a kid, I just knew, oh, you don't want to hurt somebody's feelings because they made the effort of getting you a gift, and you don't want to just be like, I already have it and blow it off. Uh, but thinking about it now, it's like, it, that really tells you that the experience of giving and receiving gifts, so much of it really is about the person who is giving it. And so much of it, because so much of it is about them, you want them to feel good about it. You don't want to reject what they gave you, because they did make an effort. Uh, so it is about the gift giver's feelings, and it is about what they feel in giving that gift. It's not about whether the gift is useful to you. It's not about whether you already have it or know it. And that's kind of how I feel about people offering advice or you know attempting to offer um, emotional guidance. I think practical guidance is an entirely different thing. And in dealing with uh, the aftermath of a sudden death, the practical aspects are great. 
Because, I mean, that's a formula you can't escape. Society works a certain way. Uh, the, you know, the nature of government, of finance, of business, all of that, that's a formula you're not going to escape anytime soon. I mean, there is a little bit of variability to it. That's an entirely different type of guitar. The government guitar, that's an entirely different type of guitar. The bank guitar... The uh, Social Security Department guitar. Those are different guitars, man. They're a little bit different. <laughs> you can get a little... You can you can still think outside the box, but it's different. Um, the grief guitar, though, is something entirely different. But So, so practical advice, I, I think that's an entirely different type of gift. And only certain people really can offer that. Only certain people have that knowledge, um, some more than others. But when it comes to, you know, emotional advice or, or someone who's trying to help you emotionally, you know, I think that's the the birthday rule very much applies where it's like you should thank them and if you think you already know it or if you don't need it, you shouldn't tell them. Don't tell them, I don't need this. Especially when it comes to something more abstract like dealing with grief. The fact that they made the effort is what's important. Uh, and but there are situations where you do tell someone <laughs> you don't need something. There are situations where you do reject a gift. You know, like if if you have a birthday and someone brings a, a dog, like they're like, "Oh, I, I bought you a dog," and you can't afford a dog. You don't want a dog. You don't have the time for a dog right now in your life. I think you can say, "I don't need this. Take it back. I don't need this dog." Okay, I already have a dog. Oh, but I got you another one. I, because you already had a dog, I knew that you liked dogs, and so I got you another dog. And I think in that situation, you can say, I don't need this. I think there's a, there's definitely a line that can be crossed where a gift becomes a burden, too much of a burden for you to have to sort out by pretending, by just thanking them and taking it. Uh, and the funny thing is about that, too, I should add, is that you know my mom obviously taught me that rule of just thanking someone and not telling them that, you already have something. But my mom is probably the one person in my life who, if she got me something that I either didn't need, truly didn't need, or already had, where I would be like, hey, you know, I, I just don't need it. Um, but that was the level of comfort we had with one another. And I think it stands out that she's the one who taught me that rule of not telling somebody that you already have something because she was such an expert in giving gifts that she knew how it felt to, you know, she, she's somebody who knew what it felt like to be a gift giver and the importance of that as the gift giver that, you know, you do want to show consideration for that person. But just, I guess, the irony, I don't know if it's an irony, but just the irony of her teaching me that is she was the one person who I felt comfortable enough telling, like, I, I don't really need this. Uh, but uh, there is a certain line that can be crossed where you don't need something, and I've definitely seen a little bit of that in this process where there's definitely once or twice where I felt like people were putting a little bit of a burden on me in their attempt to help me. And it doesn't mean I'm not still grateful for it, but I think you can kind of tell when someone's doing something for their own reasons, and it just comes back to ulterior motives, where yesterday I was talking about the synesthesia I have, where I can see someone's accent. It might be a sound, but I can see it. I can see somebody's accent. 
but in the in a similar sense, you know, I can smell ulterior motives. I don't know if you'd call that synesthesia or if ulterior motives just smell so bad that everybody can smell them, but I can definitely smell ulterior motives and I don't feel like I can't think of anybody since my mom passed that has really had some ulterior motive, maybe a little bit. I can tell when somebody's doing something for their own sense of self. And I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that, but you do start to pick up on little threads of narcissism or just things you don't really want to deal with. And if you're at the epicenter of a situation like this, which I am, you can easily just let it go and dismiss it and keep it away. Uh, but, uh, cause there, yeah, there are some people who are like, I'm going to, I want to talk to you about my grief guitar and how I play it. And you're going to expect to play these songs. You're going to, you're definitely going to play Enter Sandman. And if you're not playing Enter Sandman right now, you will in a month. Just get a hold of me when you play an Enter Sandman in two months, two months from now. A certain wave of grief is going to hit you, and you're just you're going to go. I got to play "Twinkle Twinkle Little Star," but no, there is this presumption that your experience will go a certain way, and I don't think that's true necessarily. And in my case, I don't feel like I'm fighting anything. I don't feel like I'm challenging the formulas of grief. I don't feel like I'm standing in defiance of the songs that people typically associate with grief guitar. I don't think that I'm fighting anything in that regard. But I do have my own way of expressing these things and thinking about these things. And my life has taken me to a certain place where while certain chords are relevant, and I can't deny those chords, the song that I might play, and it might very well be one that many people have played, I think they have. I mean, based on what I've consumed in my life, like based on the the different perspectives on death and grief that I've taken in, especially during my adult life, I know other people have experienced grief if in not this exact way, then certainly similar parallel ways. And I would not consider myself a grief guitar iconoclast. I wouldn't say that I'm doing anything new. And I wouldn't presume that I'm not going to go through some of those formulaic experiences. And I've been saying that since the moment my mom died. Okay, I'm not feeling, I don't have that feeling or sensation that I typically associate with, with what I see in other people. But I have only seen that in people. And so I don't know what other people have truly felt. So I'm not going to presume that my feeling is different. But I kind of have the feeling that my feeling is different, if that makes any sense. That's kind of how this whole process has been. And, you know, I know that some of the things that have just... And, and, and again, it's not an, an attempt. It's not that I'm trying to fight anything or force anything... This is just the the sense, you know, anything that I'm saying is just a very I'm I'm trying my best to explain the sensations. I'm trying my best to explain the feelings that I've had. And it's very difficult to do that. Uh but I am making if I'm making an effort to do anything, it's simply to put words to the sensations that are naturally occurring within me. 
And those do include moments that you would uh, consider more textbook, you know, where you do have a feeling of just longing or missing that person and, and that kind of thing. But overall, you know, I don't feel that the formula has been terribly relevant to me. But uh, like I was about to say a minute ago, I don't want to presume that it won't be in the future. I don't want to step on that rake. You know, that's something that I try to keep in mind always when I'm talking about any kind of self-improvement or anything that I'm going through that is working in some way for me uh, or that I think is different from some other expected experience. Uh, I never want to step on a rake and just get smacked in the face. And that's an approach I've taken to substance abuse. It's an approach I've taken to just mental health where I never want to get too confident in the way things are because when you're confident, when you're too confident in the way things are, that's when you step on that rake or that cartoon floorboard that just flies up and smacks you in the face. And in cartoons, it just, you know, it just gives you a smack. But in real life, it breaks your whole fucking nose. It flattens your nose. <laughs> uh, so I don't want to get my nose flattened. So how are you doing? How are you doing in all this? Well, I'm just trying not to get my nose completely flattened against my face. But see, that's actually the best thing that someone could say to me right now is, how are you doing? I love how are you doing. How are you doing? Uh, I, love how, I, I love just getting a message right now that asks me how I'm doing. And I actually don't have much to say. I don't feel like I need that question, but I like it because it's... The perfect, like, it's not a gift. It's not like, here's this. It's just saying, like, it's like getting a happy birthday message or something. It's like, I'm thinking about you because something is going on beyond the ordinary that makes me wonder how you are. It makes me want to know how you're doing. I'm acknowledging you. That's what I'm getting at here is I like the acknowledgement because to me, there is something behind that thought. You know, while it's nice in your normal everyday life when... You know, you're not holding a grief guitar. It's nice when people check in with you then, too. You know, when, when you're just holding nothing but thin air, when you're just grasping at thin air and nothing big has happened in your life, it's nice then, too, when someone asks you how you're doing. But usually in that case, you you have all kinds of neurotic shit to say <laughs> where it's like, oh, well, I'm just I'm grasping at this thin air. I, I thought it was a rock that I was going to like climb on. But uh, it turns out I was just grasping at thin air. And uh, uh, did you some guy didn't use his turn signal today. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm going to do something completely new on guitar that re requires never learning the chords uh, that's, that's how you respond when like nothing is going on in your life that's important and someone asks you how you're doing. Uh, but when something really big has happened in your life, something heavy duty, you know, just getting asked how you're doing, that kind of basic acknowledgement is so nice because it doesn't presume anything. It doesn't expect anything. It's asking you to offer what your experience is right now as you want to share it, however you want to share it. So I like how are you doing. And if someone presumes something or expects me to be going through a certain process, that's okay too, as long as there's not some ulterior motive, as long as there's no agenda behind it. And as I said, it's not that I've felt anybody has had an agenda, but you do just get... Some people do have a certain tone to them, uh... 
you know, I don't, I don't need recommendations. You know, I don't need certain authors recommended to me, um, and uh, that kind of thing. But uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, I can't, you know, I'm not going to turn down anybody's acknowledgement of me. And basic acknowledgement is so valuable when you're going through something like this. Uh, but when you don't tell, like when people do expect something of you or presume something of you, presume something about your experience, you know, it can be off-putting when you don't respond according to expectations. And I don't know that anybody's been truly put off, uh, but I think there has been some surprise, and I think it's hopefully been positive surprise. Um, but uh, it is a mystery, you know, it is it is a mystery how we all respond to these sorts of events. Uh, and sometimes having a formula to follow, not just in your own life when you're going through it, being able to be like, okay, there's these authors, these this group meets every week, and we all take turns talking about our loss. Uh, there's this formula that I can follow to help me through this process. Uh, there's a certain comfort into thinking that other people, too, are going through these stages or following this process or, you know, this formula is going to work for them because people are so scared of the mystery. And I think in a weird way, you know, as somebody who's always pursued the mystery but not necessarily looked for answers to the mystery, that's defined a lot of my life, you know, it's this is a great opportunity Partially because it's it, it it's invoked the ultimate mystery for me, which is like one: how are you going to respond to an immeasurable loss? You never know until that happens. You know, I never, I, I couldn't even conceive, I couldn't even imagine how I was going to respond to my mom's death. You know, in the short term or the long term, and I still don't know how the long term is going to go. Uh, but, you know, I never could have conceived of it. And when I say that, I don't mean that, like, I couldn't have conceived the level of sorrow I would feel. I mean, I literally could not have conceived how I would respond because I just didn't know. It hadn't happened. Uh, as I put, you know, it's like you're climbing this mountain and you know eventually you're going to get to the top, but you've never actually seen the peak because it's covered in clouds. And you're at that peak for a second and then all of a sudden you're on the other side. Uh, but there was all this mystery leading up to it, and now you're here, and you've seen it. You've stood on that peak. You've stood at that very fine needle point center at the very top of the mountain. Uh, and uh, so there's this mystery in anticipating, like, how am I going to react? And then there's the mystery of death. There's the mystery of, like, you know, wow, where does this person go? You know, what is this sensation that I'm experiencing that's new to me? What is this sensation that isn't new to me but has been skewed or, or has been shifted in some way? There's so much mystery to this, but at the same time, it doesn't feel like one. It's oddly harmonious. It's oddly... And, and you know, not harmonious in this... in that it's, like, pleasurable, because it's certainly not pleasurable... But there is this kind of like, it's a mystery. I mean, that's my whole point is like, I, I wouldn't be able to put it into words. It's like, there is, it's almost like, uh, you know, it's like something that has been downloading in the background for some, 
long amount of time. It's, it's, you know, going back to the days when like something took forever to download and you can see it down at the bottom of your screen and the little bar is just slowly creeping up and you forget about it. You're looking at other things and you forget that you were downloading this thing that was just there and maybe you didn't even, maybe it was just always there. I don't know. Maybe you didn't even click a link to try to download this thing and something was just downloading to your computer and you just knew it was there and you're, you're busy, you're distracted, you're checking your email every five minutes, you're, uh, you're running around on the internet, you're, you're learning all this stuff and you're like, oh yeah, this is, this is what it all is. This thing is just downloading in the bottom and I, I don't know what it'll, what it'll even be. And I'm looking at the internet this whole time. And then all of a sudden, when you least expect it, you get this notification that's like download complete. And you open the, the and you're like, I completely, I was ignoring this. Like, I kind of knew it was there, but I was trying not to pay attention because I thought it was never going to download, but I always knew it would. And then you open it up and it's like some new program that you've, you know, never I don't even know. I don't even know how far to go with this fucking example, but uh, either way, it's like all of a sudden there's this new software that came as a part of that download. Maybe it was an update. That's what it is. It's not that it was some brand new software. That download was your system updating. Windows updated. That's what that's what losing somebody important to you is like. It's like your Windows updated. It's like a Windows update. It's like the the worst thing you could ever say. <laughs> How are you how are you doing, Eric? Oh well, it's kind of like you know you had a Windows update and it was it was downloading in the background, and you just kind of forgot about it. And the next thing you know, it's like your taskbar is blue. Oh, that's what it's like. I think Eric's in the uh, <laughs> not the anger stage. Uh, what what stage is that? What stage of the grief process is the one where you liken the experience to a Windows update, Microsoft Windows update? It does sort of have that feeling, though. It's like, oh, it's like everything, all the components, all the data, all of my data is the same. My ba- the basic functions of this thing are the same. But uh, this thing's a different color, and it, it, it all looks and feels a little bit different, and it added this program. I mean, it does kind of feel that way. And, uh, and uh, who knows how that'll feel in a month or a week. A month and a week. Who knows how that'll feel in a month and a week? That should be a phrase. Who knows how, who, you know, grief guitars and Microsoft Windows. Uh, those are my examples. This is why I shouldn't be a grief counselor, because somebody comes in and they're just looking to get walked through the basic process of, you know, coping. They're just looking to cope. Uh, they have their sights set on being happy someday and dealing with life without this this person. And meanwhile, I'm I'll be like, well, you got to think of your life like uh, Microsoft Windows or a grief guitar. Uh, you got to think of yourself like Microsoft Windows playing a simulated grief guitar. Uh, it's like Fruity Loops, you know? It's like, uh, no, but uh, it is part of this where it's like, you know, there's a certain expectation. And there, is, there are universal feelings. It's not like I'm denying that. Uh, I'm embracing that. You know, you have to embrace that. 
Um, cause you know, I, I had an experience like it was about a week ago or not, not even a week. It was like four days ago where I got home and I just, it just hit me where I was just like, I, I just miss my mom with nothing else attached. And it was the first time I had really felt that way where I was like, I, the only thing I'm experience, experiencing right now is the grief of having lost my mom and just missing her. There was nothing philosophical, nothing spiritual. There was nothing else to it but that basic feeling. And it was really sad. And I felt great grieving, though. I felt great that there was just this sudden eruption of that feeling, and it was, to be honest, one of the purest feelings I've had in all of this, and this has been, like I said, there's been this purity or this harmony to this whole experience uh, that transcends the sad emotions that are inevitably attached to it, and this was just one more part of that, and even though I just said that there was nothing philosophical or spiritual to this feeling, because it was just this simple feeling of missing my mom, not not thinking, oh, I wish I could tell her about this thing that happened today, or thinking like, oh, you know, this or that, it was, all it was was just wanting that person to be in the same room as you, it was just as simple as that. And, of course, afterward, like, after that moment was over, then, of course, it became philosophical, where it's like, oh, well, the fact that I went through that and experienced that level of pure just missing that person, that itself is, you know, a philosophical or spiritual uh, experience, you know. But, But really, like, when it came to the moment, there was nothing else attached, no other thoughts except missing that person. And it felt good. And you would think that it wouldn't, right? You would think that that wouldn't feel good. But when you're experiencing something that pure, how can it not feel good in some way? Um, it's, like, it's like water, you know what I mean? Where it's like you can th- think all day about how water has no flavor or has no taste. Water doesn't taste like anything. But when you have that pure experience of drinking water... Nothing compares. You know, when you need water, you need it. And you won't appreciate any flavored drink. You know, you won't, you'll never appreciate a pop, a soda. You'll never appreciate a soda pop more than you will water when you need water. And it's, there's a level of purity to that. And I would say it's the same thing for when you have moments during grief, where it's just like, all I feel is this one thing. And it, in a weird way, it is like drinking a glass of water when you need a glass of water. Grief guitars, glasses of water, and Windows Update. When I write a book about all this, when I write a book about how to grieve in 2025, being a grieving human in 2025... Here's how you do it. When I write that book, these are all, I'm going to use all these. I'm going to use all these examples. Um, but, um, you know, people, you know, just acknowledgement. I want to go back to that because it's like just having basic acknowledgement from people is great. And I, I appreciate that more than anything else. You know, the practical stuff, too. The practical stuff, people who are willing to help with practical matters, uh, I mean, words can't express how helpful that is. 
But when it comes to people emotionally engaging with you on a very emotional subject, just having basic acknowledgement, how are you? And I think that's something to keep in mind for myself in the future is not feeling like I need to have something to offer somebody that I think is going to be helpful. I don't want to feel like I'm giving someone a gift because what someone is really going to be looking for is just basic acknowledgement because uh, you're not going to give them the thing that they want which is possibly the person they lost. You know, you're not going to give that back to them. And so, you know, with that in mind, there's no gift that there's no emotional gift that you can uh there's I don't know, there's there's no emotional gift that will truly fill the hole that created the entire situation. But I think acknowledging that person, giving them acknowledgement is important. And it, and the acknowledgement doesn't have to be about grief. It doesn't have to be about loss. And I think in many cases, it being about something else entirely, without trying to make it a distraction, but just talking to somebody who's gone through a loss about something that you would naturally talk to them about is worth its weight in gold. Not because it's normal, because I think it illuminates how special those things are. You know, I, I don't want to talk to people about restaurants right now. But a friend who has, say, a specific interest in common with me, talking to me about that, it doesn't make things feel normal, even though it would be a normal part of our conversation to discuss that thing. It just highlights how special it is that I know people where I have these niche not even interests, but just topics that we can go into. That's the kind of thing that is worth its weight in gold. And as I said, not because it, you know, is some example of normalcy. Because I'm not looking for normalcy. And that's another part of this, too. I'm not looking for things to go back to normal. I actually want them to be less normal. Or I want the new normal to be noticeably different than the previous normal, and there's no doubt that that's going to be the case. I don't have to wish upon a star for that, a twinkle. I don't have to play twinkle, twinkle, little star. I don't have to, I don't have to play Enter Sandman uh, to know that things... <laughs> to know that things aren't going to be the same normal they were before. So that's something I can kind of take for granted, is that things aren't going to be normal in the same way they were before. Uh, but, you know, I think a lot of people do want that. A lot of people, when they go through something like this, they do want things just to get back to normal. I want things to be good. I want things to be, you know, I want this harmony that I feel, this, this, uh, this purity, this pure glass of water that I'm tasting I want it to, you know, extend far beyond this experience, uh, and you know, I, I want it to. I want I want to continue to use the sensations and feelings I've had in this grief process for things other than this grief process, and I feel like I've gotten a little taste of that. You know, like I'm not just even though I'm in orbit around this experience, uh, it's not like I'm just thinking about that by any means. So I do feel like I've gotten a little taste of that, and that's something I want to take with me. 
I don't want to take the grief guitar with me necessarily. I don't want to spend the rest of my life as some sad bard. Uh, I, I don't want to, you know, a sad bard playing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. That's not who I want to be. Uh, but, you know, there might be some songs that I want to take with me. There might be, a, you know, a, another Windows update coming down the line in the future. You never know when they're going to come. You never know when Windows is going to throw another update your way. You know, you never you never know. It's, it's usually by surprise, you know. Uh, Windows will suddenly tell you there's an update. And you keep you keep hitting the button to postpone it. You keep telling Windows, I, I'm you know I got all these tabs open, and I, I don't want to close these tabs because there's things I'm going to look at. I got a bunch of Windows Notepad files open that I haven't saved, with random ideas I have. And I don't really want to save them because if if I save them, I'll never look at them again. So I just have them open so that I can reference them now. And if I do a Windows update, I'm gonna it's gonna close those down. And I'm going to lose these notepad notes. I'm going to lose my notes. I'm going to lose these tabs. You know, I have 100 uh, tabs from tvtropes.org open. I'm going to lose my place if Windows doesn't update. So I'm going to hit postpone. I'm just going to hit, keep hitting postpone. And uh, one day Windows is just like, prepare for the update. You can't sometimes sometimes it stops letting you postpone the updates and next thing you know it's just there and then you have to just wait for it. Uh and and you, I don't like the new version of Windows because that's some people's response is like I don't like the new version of Windows. Uh so I'm going to look up the way to go back. I'm going to find a way to use the old version again. I want to go back to the previous sense of normal that I had before. I want to go back to Windows 95. You know, meanwhile, it's just like, hey, you know, you got a new version of Windows to deal with. Uh, might as well get used to it. Might as well get used to it. But don't hold on to that grief guitar for too long. But be willing to write songs that, you know, don't follow, you know, the standard formula. Use the chords, you know, use the chords that sound right, that feel right and good. But you don't have to stick to any formula when it comes to the songs you write in this situation and you want to do what's natural to you too but I think the point is that I'm getting at is there is something that you can do with these experiences and this experience and I think seeing it as multiple experiences is good you know I think seeing it as multiple experiences that make up one larger experience is the right way to go about it because that allows you to experience different things that experience that that allows you to experience moments of just straight sadness of just missing your mom and nothing else and that also allows you to experience some sort of excitement too it'll it allows you to express a lot more than what's expected of you uh, but you can't deny the fact that you've been handed a grief guitar. You can't deny the fact that Windows has thrown an update your way. But you can do something with that once it's there. Once it's in your hands. And that's what I'm learning about. You know, I, I would hate it if I sounded like an expert right now. Because I'm just, I'm telling you what I'm experiencing right now. 
I'm telling you what I'm learning right now. And I'm very much preaching what I need. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free.